Welcome in to Two Four Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Four Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm here with my guy, Mike Renner, ready to talk about the prospects PFF is higher on and lower on versus the athletic consensus board. We looked at the athletic consensus board. We're going to see where is PFF highest and lowest on some of these players in the 2021 NFL draft. And at the back end of the podcast, interviews with former Notre Dame, former Golden Domer, tight end Tommy Tremble, and then former USC wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown. Let's get it. Big haircut. Jesus. Drill sergeant. Looking hot. If you were listening on audio, you don't get to see how good Mike Renner looks with his new haircut. And you got, I complimented the sweater too. The Abercrombie oh, yeah. Fitch sweater is nice. Abercrombie Fitch. It's my brand. Um, not my best haircut. I've had better, but hopefully, like, in I missed the long so. hair, man. It was such a good conversation piece. Mm. I really liked the long hair. I hated it. It was a grind. Do you know how long, how long a shower takes when you have hair like past your nipples? It's absurd. I don't. It's not good. Yeah. That was a big. Reason. That was probably my, the only reason. I, I'd I like you, you were, we were talking a little bit before we recorded the podcast. Could you make that comment again about the Abercrombie and Fitch and how their style has kind of progressed? Oh, yeah. So they were super understated now. They used to be like heavily branded, mm -hmm. and now it's way more my. Yeah, because you can barely tell that's even Abercrombie and Fitch. Yeah. It's a nice color, too. It's like a, I don't know what kind of color. I got a lot of Abercrombie and Fitch. Looks good, man. Yeah. Looks really good. Same with the haircut, Drill Sergeant. Maybe hop in, maybe get you some. I might have to get some. This yellow one is not Abercrombie and Fitch. It's actually puke. Puke stain. Yeah, I was gonna say that's not a great color. No, I hate that. this color. So <laughs> it I looks like it. a thrift store purchase. It is. It is a thrift store purchase. But I washed it once, and now it's become this like disgusting, like jauntiness. You know, like you get yellow as a kid. Yeah, you, yeah. It's not. It's not a great look. Um, you but I have an update. Kid? I, I didn't I have. Know, but... I didn't have jaundice as a kid. But sometimes kids have okay. jaundice. Gotcha. Dude, that's a funny story. When I was a kid, I I was a C section. I don't know if you were or not. Yes, I, but I. There was a point where I told that to people in elementary school, and they made fun of me for it for like a day, and I was taking it to like heart. I was like, I'm sorry. I was just, I was like crying. At Why like would you fourth, tell people you're a C-section? Well, I don't know. I was I, I fucking found it out. And you're like a fourth grade kid. And you're like, yeah, I'll bring it up to my friends. And then everyone made fun of me for it. Like I had control of it. It was rough, dude. I was a C-section kid and, and bullied for it. Really, really bullied for it for a full day. Um, but awesome. a big update on my end. I found a new coffee shop. Oh. So my favorite coffee shop in, in, in Tennessee is Urbana Cafe. Big shout out. But they close at five. Sometimes you got to grind after five. And there's this place that opens at five and it closes at 2.30. Highland Coffee House. Espresso is $2. The vibe is immaculate. Everyone dresses just like me. Everyone in there is like a bum. It's fantastic. And um, yesterday, that a good, right. a good right. highlight from yesterday, not a lot of horoscope conversation. At our Urbana Cafe, you get a lot of horoscopes and a lot of, you know, preppy garbage. Mm -hmm. Here, yesterday, unplug the headphones. This person, I, I was like listening to something, and this person, as soon as I unplug the headphones, I'm not saying I'm an anti-vaxxer. I just don't know if I support it. And I was like, okay, these things got to go right back in. It was, it, was, uh, it was a good time yesterday. I love the banter. I love the coffee shop banter. I would say you're a little voyeuristic with your like, you know, need to like know what's going on in people's lives. That's Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. All right, let's get into this here. Uh, Arif Hassan does excellent work. Excellent work for The Athletic. Big shout out to him. He puts together, I think, a compilation of 50 plus. Yes, last year was 65. 65 total big boards. I think he's going to continue to add to this thing. 50 plus big boards or from media and analysts around the industry to create this consensus board, this consensus board among. I was going to say, when it drops, that is your Christmas. Yeah. You talk about the consensus board. 
I am a firm believer in wisdom of the crowds. I'm a firm believer in that if you drafted off the consensus board and completely fired all of your scouts and developed players, I think you'd be in a really good spot. You'd do better than the Seahawks. Yes, you'd do better than a lot of teams. (laughs) You'd do better than a lot of teams. I also think even if you don't draft off the consensus board, you should at least look at it to like think about reaches and think about picks. If you're picking Damon Arnett at 19 and on the consensus board, he's 60th, and there hasn't been a reach in the first round bigger than 21 picks on the consensus board in five years, that's data you should use. Like, that's data you should use. Why not? Front offices don't have this magical book up there just because they're hired by NFL teams. Like, all this data is available. I think this is a very valuable piece of it. I will say there are some caveats in that. One, a lot of these boards are put together without the advent of a lot of film. Yeah. Let's be honest. And two, there's like a first mover sort of impact that – Someone who does have a lot of film, us, Dame Brugler, the big dogs in the space. Oh, I just I hate that I call us big. You just dogs. call us the big. But dogs? someone that has someone that has like we are chihuahuas. Res- someone that's like respected in the space says something about an opinion about a player that will also affect a lot of opinions about players. No, there's just group a fa- think bias just a, for yeah, sure. Think bias, yeah. There's group think bias for sure, and it's I think that's why you can't. I mean, you can't just take it wholeheartedly. Like yeah. you're, there's so few people that are willing to take a stand on people. However, it would be a really good process. Here's a take. In your front office, you have X amount of scouts. I don't know how many you have in a front mm-hmm. office. Maybe 20, 30. Have them all independently create boards. Yeah. And you can't see the other people's boards. You can't. You have to watch every single player. You have to do the same thing that you do and create independent boards. without look. You can't read media. You can't do anything. You have to just like create your own board. And then you put that thing together without that level of bias. That thing could be pretty hot. Yeah. I'd be liking that. All right. I'd be liking that. <laughs> All right. Let's get into this consensus board here. Where I'd like the to start is you know, Arif did a, was awesome and sent me this email of you know who PFF is highest on, who we are higher on relative consensus, and then who are we lowest on of any board, and then who are we lower on versus consensus. Let's start with highest. These are the players on PFF's big board that we are highest on of any of the 50 boards collected in the athletic consensus board. I'll start with Zach Wilson. We have second on our board, sixth by the consensus. I still am floored by that. That we're the only board with him as the number two overall player. I wonder if we're class. tied with someone, or or are we the only one? Because I would, I could see us being tied with a lot of people at, at second. But that is that is wild to me that no one else would have him second. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is that we factor in positional value, and oftentimes, you know, the top two, top three quarterbacks will rank, you know, inside the top two, top three on our board, depending yeah. on how they go. Um, the other one here is Christian Barmore. Defensive interior from Alabama, 12th on our board, 27th on the consensus. I mean, we are legitimately pushing him into the first-round conversation. I know the NFL, from what Jim Nagy had tweeted, is higher on Christian Barmore than the, maybe the media is. I think we could see him come off the board inside the first 20, inside the first, inside the first 25 picks. I still like Cleveland as a landing spot, 26. I think they could make a, pull the trigger on Christian Barmore. Um, then, this one's the interesting one. I think this is where I want to spend a lot of the conversation. Walker Little of Stanford, by far the guy we're highest on. He's 26th on our board and 94th on the PFF consensus board. A significant difference there. And then Jamar Johnson, safety of Indiana, also friend of the pod. Uh, we had both. We had Walker Little and Jamar Johnson on the podcast. 47th on PFF's draft board, Jamar Johnson, 95th on the consensus board. Zach Wilson, I don't know if there's much of a conversation there, but let's start with Christian Barmore. Yeah. Why do you think we're the highest on him, and why are you that confident he's going to be you know, one of the better players in this draft? I mean, just purely looking at his grading profile. It's excellent. And 88.1 pass rushing grade in 2019. 91.5 pass rushing grade this past year, 2020. That's higher than Javon Kinlaw's best season, Derek Brown's best season, the two DTs came out last year. And yeah, he's inconsistent in the run game. Uh, I think Steve 
comp Steve had for him is Gerald McCoy. I'm not sure if that was one of these good draft guy or not, but I think it's very accurate. Like he is not is not play with consistent pad level. He is more of a gap shooter in the run game and can get himself out of position. But as pass rusher, you can't really fake that. Like mm-hmm. you can't fake what he did to Notre Dame and Ohio State in the playoffs. And, and you go back to the quote from uh, Nick Casario. Is that right? Texan GM. Yep. Watch the guys against the best competition. Against the best competition, against guys that are going to be in the NFL, against those offensive lines from Ohio State, Wyatt Davis, Notre Dame, Aaron Banks. Uh, he's kicking their ass. Straight up, like other guys who will play in the NFL, he's kicking their ass to a degree that no other defensive tackle, defensive lineman, edge rusher came close to doing this past year. So, yeah, I mean, that's why he's 12th on our board. You just feel very good about this guy as a pass rusher and only a redshirt sophomore coming up. What are your... What are the reasons that Christian Barmore doesn't pan out in the NFL? If you had to have a crystal ball and say, okay, he doesn't end up being this first-round caliber player, what are some of the reservations or the cons you have with Christian Barmore? Yeah, I mean, the inconsistency. It's viable on a state. Like against Florida, didn't get a single pressure in that mm-hmm. game, SC championship game. Um, he can't, has a tendency to play high, but I, I feel very confident. Again, you feel confident when you see a guy dominate to that level that he did with – Good physical tools. Like he's got, he went what four sub five second in the forty at three hundred ten pounds. That's pretty damn good. So, yeah. All right, let's now go ahead and jump to <clears throat> Walker Little off the tackle Stanford. He have him as the twenty sixth ranked player on PFF's draft board, ninety uh, fourth on the consensus. Walker Little is the offensive tackle, former five star, big name coming out of Cali. Goes to Stanford, only has one season, really one full season, and then. Um, in 2019, in, you know, I think suffers an injury in week one, doesn't play the rest of that season, and then opts out of the 2020 campaign. When I talked to him on the podcast, he said, I haven't seen a college pass rusher since 2019. He is not the biggest con with Walker Little, and I think what's driving this 94th ranking, in my opinion, is not anything about his ability, but it's the injury history and obviously just the lack of reps. Like, you have not seen the kid play. He has not played in a long time. He is a question mark more than he is an exclamation point. However, independent of... What he has done, I think you've learned, you know, you talked about this, you know, 10, 20, 30 podcasts ago. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean he can't do it. Yeah. Walker Little has all the athletic tools. I know you've had a lot of conversations as well with Paul Alexander, who's training him right now and talks about him highly. It's also just recognizing where his tape was on his developmental curve. And over his last, over his last seven games, he was the highest graded pass protector in all of college football. Over that span. Highest graded pass protector in all of college football. And recognizing... Where that was, though, compared to other tackles in this draft class. Tevin Jenkins wasn't even a starter the last time, at, at the age, the, the last time we saw Walker Little play. Tevin Jenkins wasn't even a starter for Oklahoma State. So all three years of Tevin Jenkins, of like his developmental curve, we just didn't get to see from Walker Little. Like I tweeted out yesterday how many snaps we've seen from all the top offensive tackles since they turned 20 years old. 72 from Walker Little. Every other top tackle besides Slater and Sewell are over 1,500 snaps. Over mo- over three seasons from all these other top tackles we got to see since they turned 20 years old. You didn't get to see it from Walker Little. Now, not everyone develops at the same pace, but when you are the level of physical tools that he has, 7443 coming, 459 shuttle, like very athletic at six foot seven, 313 pounds, has the arm length, really has all the physical tools you could possibly want for the position that point i'm gonna bet on the guy who has that and was already making those strides in a big big way at stanford we just again didn't get to see that next level and so yeah maybe he's not 
day one impact tackle, not a lot are. That's a rare position to have a guy come in and step in and be ready. But I think his developmental curve is only sort of at its at the low point. We're going to see a lot better football from him in the future, especially since like it's not like he's not putting in the work. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think, you know, I'm kind of speaking for you here, but you wouldn't take walk a little, say you are a GM and you are drafting, you know, say where the Steelers are at 24, or Chiefs are at 31, knowing, in my opinion, knowing that he's 94th on the consensus, you'd probably be smart enough to know that you could probably take him on day two or at least wait for him on day two. You, I, I think this would be a situation where if you do take him in the first round, say there is a team that has a similar board as you, you're being overconfident in your evaluation. You're being overconfident in Walker Little. Unless you're hearing from sources around the league that he's also viewed highly, I don't know. He's been I, a first-round mock draft, so I don't know. I, it, I would, I'd be more than willing to take if I'm the Packers, if I'm the Chiefs, if I'm one of the teams in the bottom round one really? that needs to tackle. Yeah. You're, you're pounding the table then. That's a pound the table situation. I like yeah. it. I like it. Stick to your guns. All right. Jamar Johnson, safety, Indiana, 47th ranked. He was a late riser on PFF's draft board, a guy that you spoke highly about. You know, We had the safety podcast on Monday. You should listen to that. We talk about Jamar Johnson in detail. But the biggest highlights for him, playmaker. The testing wasn't great. I think that's going to drive some of this 95th ranking mm-hmm. for sure. But what you saw on film, I mean, he's one of the better playmaking safeties in this draft. And Yeah, and it's not just... Like you go to Andre Sisco's tape and he's taking chances mm-hmm. at stuff. Jamar Johnson's tape is seven picks, six pass breakups, and a very limited sample size. Literally like seven picks, six pass breakups, and about one season's worth of snaps. 406 covered snaps in his career. And they're not, like I said, they're not him just like guessing. Let me go get opposition, make a play. It's him reading it. And the play I love was the, I think it was a pick against Michigan on the sideline on a go route where he's coming from the middle of the field and just a lot of guys are going to track that ball and go for a hit, maybe be hesitant in it, not necessarily find it. He is on the ball the entire time. And I think that's the biggest thing you see on tape is his ability to locate the football is just elite. His angles to the ball are as good as it gets. There's no hesitation in his game. And so, yeah, he didn't test out exceptionally athletically, but like on tape, you see it like you you see those plays that not just you make them or you don't not a lot of guys in this class are capable of even making those plays i think it'd also be very difficult to find as good of tape at safety from jamar johnson anywhere after the first 50 picks like i mean you're not you're 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 taking chances on guys that have bad tape that have maybe good athleticism inconsistent tape Jamar Johnson, obviously, the inconsistency comes from the tackling ability, but in coverage, you said as consistent as it can get. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go ahead and jump now. Do you want to go to the guys we're lowest on and then go back to the highest, or do you want to just keep going high? Let's get high. All right, let's get high. Um, I'm going to read these in, in groups here. There's a handful of players that I want to bring up. All of these players are ranked inside PFF's top 100, but lower ranked compared to the consensus board. Starting with Greg Newsom, cornerback Northwestern. This is not that – yeah, higher rank, sorry. This, uh, this is not that significant. Greg Newsom, cornerback Northwestern, 20th versus 26th. Not a massive jump. Elijah Moore, though. Let's start here. Elijah Moore, wide receiver Ole Miss. 22nd on PFF's draft board, 35th on the consensus board. How much is it that people think he's a slot only that's driving that? I honestly think it's a lot. Like, it's a lot. Sam was telling me to move him down. Sam really? Monson said he thinks he's a slot only. I am pounding the table that Elijah Moore, of any of the smaller guys in this draft class, and not even any of the smaller guys, any of the guys that were slot majority guys, the Jalen Dardens, the two two Atwells, Rondale Moore. I didn't throw Kadarius Tony into that mix. And even though Kadarius Tony has better size to profile on the outside, I think Elijah Moore can play outside receiver better than any of those guys. I just that's how 
talented he is as a route runner. It's how talented his releases were against J.C. Horn in the limited amount of sample size we saw. And that's just the level of athlete it takes when you're undersized. He is that. All-around athleticism. Mm -hmm. He's got it. Like, I, I mean, if I Lane think, Kiffin didn't want him to... the ball to... skills are there is the other biggest thing. It's like not a lot of guys can track down the field through contact. He did and could and does. So, yeah. I'm 100% with you. I mean, he's my favorite receiver after Rashad Bateman, after the first four on PFF's yep. draft board. I will say, um, if Lane Kiffin didn't want him to compete for most receiving yards in the country, he would have played him on the outside. But playing him in the slot and having those high-leverage situations, he was feeding the kid. I mean, yeah. he was able to feed the kid similar to how he fed Amari Cooper at Alabama. And you see time and time again in the college level and in the NFL, teams putting their best receivers in the slot. I was talking to, like, Terrace Marshall about this. It's like, or it might have been one of the slot quarterback prospects. can't remember. I talked to so many players, dude. Yeah. Speaking of the consensus board, I talked to 53 players in, in the top 125 on the consensus board. That's a shitload of players. <laughs> I started to lose track. I recently had a conversation with Baron Browning, by the way. That guy is stern couldn't get that guy to crack a joke save my life it was tough it was tough he hated me i don't know what it was but it was a good interview regardless you know we, where we ranked him on our board we got through it maybe it is where because we're actually lower on him than the consensus we'll get to that later yeah. um but what i was saying is elijah moore man i think this is a lot of development from you as an analyst in my opinion you know elijah moore I feel like versus Justin Jefferson from a snap percentage playing a ton of the slot, but you were like yeah. actively looking for Elijah Moore's sure. talent, his traits, and what he can do on the limited reps he did play on the outside. I think you're seeing it, which is awesome. Um, all right, let's go ahead and jump now to Elijah Molden, two Elijahs here. We have him 35th on our board versus 57th on the consensus board. My take is, is that other boards don't really factor in how valuable slot. slot is. Yeah, again. And also, I think he can play safety. He, he did play safety one game this past year. Um, but he has been a slot defender, but it's, and he's not, and the other thing is like, he's not just a, an exceptional coverage defender, which he is very physical in the running game, run defense grades of 81.0 and 77.2 the past two years. That's very, very good for a cornerback. He sticks his nose in it. Good tackler. I mean, the Buda banker, Buda banker cops, low hanging fruit, but that's, that's what this guy can be at that size. He just. He's just a damn good football player all mm -hmm. around. Uh, it's a guy I want on my team. And tested out pretty well, actually. Like 36 and a half inch vertical, 10-5 broad jump. That's explosive numbers, especially that broad jump. Usually you don't see smaller guys having good broads at 5'9". All right, next guy here, Aline McNeil, longtime PFF favorite. NC State defensive tackle. Guy who sent us videos of him hitting nukes in high school playing baseball. 54th ranked on PFS board, 77th ranked on the consensus board. It's always interesting when you see we're higher on lower positional value players because we're higher on Lee McNeil, 54 versus 77. We're also higher on Khalil Herbert, who yeah. this is a pound-the-table type of guy. Khalil Herbert, 91st versus 132nd, and a lot of people do not have Khalil Herbert ahead of Trey Sermon like we do. And I think there's some opportunity to have some conversation there. Start with Lee McNeil, and then let's get to Khalil Herbert as well. So McNeil, we've talked about this guy a ton. Highest run defense grade in the country last year. Only a junior coming out. Good length, massive dude. As Pro Day was 317, he said he played the 340 last year. I mean, at 317, he had over a 30-inch vertical, still like nine-foot broad. Like, he's an explosive cat. And just, he didn't, no one moved this guy last year. Now, is is he a work in progress as a pass rusher? Hell yeah. But I think he has an excuse mm -hmm. with, you know, going to a place where you're not developing a ton of interior pass rushers at NC State. 
to where and obviously a true junior coming out that this guy can he can get there and he doesn't you don't need much when you're as explosive as he is he had a one six eight ten split which put in context that's faster than what chris jones had coming out so he gets off the ball this guy uh only matter of time in my opinion i i, I think of any of the defense tackles i'm willing to bet on day two he's my favorite easily my favorite still one of the youngest players in this draft yeah. and Recruited by all the Blue Bloods, but wanted to stay in Raleigh, North Carolina. I, I do Ooh, think that... The Blue Blood... Not secretary, but the Blue Blood conversation when I ranked him. Everyone I didn't put in you. Oregon. I will include Oregon. Really? Culpa. Oregon deserved to be there. That's on me. But someone wrote a whole review on the podcast trying to sway me. And I, I, I've been swayed. Oregon belongs there. Wow. That's on me. Interesting. I think Oregon belongs there purely off uniform combinations. Yeah, it's... I think part of being a blue blood is also like investment in the program. Yes. And they obviously have the investment. Money. Money. Yeah. Phil Knight, I, I agree Phil with that. Knight took care of that. Yeah. I agree with that 100%. All right. I wanted you to talk Khalil Herbert now. Why? Khalil, right. So Khalil Herbert over Trey Sermon. Why? Yeah. They're, so they're both old. It's not like either of them are spring chickens coming out. They're both seniors or fourth year guys. Actually, Herbert might be a fifth year guy coming out. Um, but Herbert's just the body type I prefer and the squatty. 5'9", 215, and has, in my opinion, better speed. I mean, tested out with better speed as well. And you saw him this past year, just the only thing was we didn't get to see a ton of them. Only 155 carries this past year was really the only season they turned it on because at Kansas, well, his first three years there, he was not getting much in the way of run blocking, but he is a one-cut upfield, make one guy miss, runner like he, he to me is like i said top five running back in this class i i just think it's i'm actually surprised not many people not as many people are high on him could it be he has a web foot could be it's part of it it's part of Very it, it well has to be, be part of the conversation all right uh handful more high were fuck me handful more players that were higher on versus consensus, and then we'll get to the lower side of yes. this. Um, let's kind of speed through these couple receivers. Kay Johnson, 77 versus 134. I mean, I think a lot of that is just not having tape at South Dakota State. Let's just call it what it is. You know, how many how many of these consensus sports have, 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 have tape State. at South Dakota State? Probably not a lot. And, and I think, you know, the Senior Bowl is obviously dri driving a lot of this too. You know, seeing what he did against like legit Power 5 competition. Highest graded guy at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, highest, highest graded guy at the Senior Bowl. Then you have Jalen Darden, 79th versus 137. And then Josh Palmer, who I, he's your guy. I know Josh Palmer's your guy, but the more, after that interview I had with him, and I went back and watched his tape versus Patrick Sertan, I, I'm starting to like him a lot too. I kind of want to be one of my guys as well. He's, like, I'm a big fan of him on day three. If you, if he falls yeah. to day three, it'd be absolute malpractice. I, I do think that fourth round, fifth round, you were getting a legitimate, one of the few legitimate receivers you can draft on day three that can start on the outside early. Like yes, really, legitimately the, early. Outside production. You can, he can do that, and he's got that size profile. We'll talk about size of the receiver position a lot. That wins at the NFL. Six foot one, two hundred ten pounds, four five two forty, sub seven three cone. That's a that's a winning combination when you are big, somewhat fast. You don't have to be you don't have to be Superman to win to catch hundred balls at wide receiver. You can run the four fives, but getting the four sixes you're concerning. But four five two is more than fast enough, especially when you're that size. And then the cone, the ability to turn. This guy is a violent route runner. He was just stuck on the outside. I mean, I make the Terry McLaurin comp with him because he's stuck in a role that was just never going to produce. You put Calvin Johnson as fucking prime there. He's not going to get targets in that offense. Just with you know, Jarek Juan Guarantano throwing ducks 
20 yards when anytime anyone goes vertical. Mm-hmm. And that's like the problem. He, four, not even 500 yards in a season, but it's not all his fault. A lot of that was just the role he's put in there. And he goes senior bowl and looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like, Some wow. quick comments on K. Johnson and Jalen Darden. Oh, so K. Johnson, Jalen Darden. I, I think he hit the nail on the head with Johnson. Just not a lot of people are going to see South Coast State tape, especially when you got to go back to 2019 to see him because they, they didn't have a season this past year. Jalen Darden, it's just kind of every, I'm really surprised 137th on the consensus board because he seemed like everybody's guy. Yeah. And just, yeah, he might be a gadget player, but that's about as good as a gadget player as you're going to get. You talk about the 79th pick somewhere in the mid of the third round. I'll take that all day, every day. Something interesting about Jalen Darwin, he's 137th on the consensus board, and Josh Palmer is 159th. I would very confidently take Palmer over Darden. Very confidently. I like Palmer a lot more than yeah. I do like Darden um, on, on day two. Yeah, day it's also like those are different positions. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, absolutely. But I'm saying things. if you're – I think what's interesting is when you get to the day two, day three types of receiver, you're de- you know, people talk about even in the first round, you're looking for flavors of ice cream. You know, what do you want at receiver? There's a handful of guys that can do different mm-hmm. things. When you get to day two and day three, they're like legit. It's like sorbet versus fucking cream based over here. Yeah. Like it is a lot different. The skill sets get a lot more unique or niche as you get a Jalen Darden. Unique. Huh? Can't modify unique. Unique, niche, eat. Or I don't know what I was going to say something stupid there. Yeah. Um, regardless, I think the flavors get a little bit more drastic or a little bit more... Um, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Now I'm trying to modify unique. I'm going to kill. I don't know what to do. All right. Um, let's go ahead and now jump to the last two people we're higher on versus consensus. Two cornerbacks. Thomas Graham Jr. of Oregon at 76 versus 145. And then you have Trey Brown, quarterback of Oklahoma. Your guy, 98 versus 166. At Graham, I'm surprised. 145th. One, he looked really good at the Senior Bowl, too. I, I think opt-out guys, people just seemingly, there's a lot of guys that I feel like they're lower on. Uh, the consensus board, at least, just being hesitant. Where it's like, I, I feel like your best years, like you're missing out. Well, I think I had this take on one of the mailbags that one, these guys are probably going to get underrated because of it. But like, you didn't get to see the next step. Well, not a lot of guys get worse throughout the college career, and not a lot of guys come for, back for that last year and look like Marvin Wilson. The Derek Browns of the world are far more prevalent, where you continue to improve throughout your college career. And with Graham, we just didn't see it this past year because he opted out, obviously. But was very good the two years prior. 82.9 coverage grade, 2019. Been starting since his true freshman year at Oregon. I don't know, I'm surprised here. 15 pass breakups in 2018. Really good ball production. Really patient corner. Physical. A lot of press coverage over the course of his career at Oregon. I don't know. I I just think that's... He doesn't necessarily have a ton of high-end traits. But not a bad athlete by any means. Went sub 4-5 at his pro day, so... I like Trey Brown a lot, too. I mean, in addition, I hate to say this again, but the interview was fantastic. Very smart player. He reminded me of how... So I ask every single player of all the... I think I talked to 69 guys. Nice. I talked 69 guys total, 53 in the athletic consensus board, top 125. Of all the guys that I talk to, I always ask them, you know, what their film study habits are in the week of a game and then in the offseason. Trey Brown's was the most like detailed answer of any cornerback I talked to. Yeah. That includes Patrick Sertan and other top guys. His was the most detailed, and his approach reminded me so much of how, because I listened to a lot of the Chris Collinsworth podcast mm-hmm. with Richard Sherman. His approach reminded me so much of how Richard Sherman talks about how he gets advantages by not being a 4-4-3 four, 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 type of guy. And I brought that up to him. I mean, it's when you have guys that are that dedicated, you know, because another question I ask these players too, and I hate to harp on the interviews a ton. I know you bring them up and laugh at them. But another question I ask them is like your why or your motivation. And what I find interesting is the players that first bring up 
their love for the game and their dedication to football and how much they want to be great is there's a high correlation between that answer and what they do in the film room and the effort they put in the film room versus like a lot of people bring up family and these different things, which yeah. motivation is motivation. But when you have this intrinsic motivation to be the best, and then you see that translate into when no one's watching, which is in film study, in preparation, these types of things, I do think it translates to the NFL. People talk about what translates to the NFL, like height, athleticism, these different things. Work habits and effort translates pretty quickly. It's the reason high motor gets not logged on things. High motor you can see on tape, but there's high motor in the practice from uh, practice week as well. Yeah, no Isaiah Wilson concerns here with Trey Brown. No, no yeah, that's get, fair. I don't there. think I, I won't name players that I got Isaiah Wilson vibes from, but they're you know power rank the biggest Isaiah Wilson vibes. I got. can't, I can't do it. I'm not doing that. All right, uh, let's go. Who's ahead most jump. likely to be on a hood of a car in a strip mall somewhere in Florida? Okay, I have a name within the next year. All right, I'll give you a name. Mike Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Right. I would love to go to Florida and be on the hood of a car that throwing actually, money after the draft is over. All right. It would be a nice little vacation. Let's go ahead and jump But on. Trey Brown, to add to that, he's 5'9". That's kind yeah, of the thing. Oh, of course. But you see the, the what you kind of all just touched on there. He reminds me of like a smaller version of Jalen Johnson last year. Ooh. Where like Jalen Johnson wanted to kick the dude's ass across from him. And he wanted to, you know, you saw the way he saw the game was very high level. Trey Brown very similar like you're not making picks in these one-on-ones without that kind of ability oh my gosh the timeline today is gonna suck what just happened oh my Devonte smith made weighed in at six foot flat 166 <laughs> he's shrinking six foot flat 166 the Where timeline why he uh... albert breer just said that the Man. NFL team's got athletic testing numbers from Indy Medical Combine. He weighed in at the Combine six foot flat, 166. Dude, he's getting smaller. 166 is tiny. That's wild. I might have to tweet out, I'm five foot nine, 166. <laughs> I mean, that's I, I'm three inches shorter and the same weight as Devontae Smith. Are you 166? I thought you were getting down to 166. Well, no, I'm like 160, but I mean, I want to kind of have the same weight. But I guess I, that that's about. You want to lie? Yeah, I want to lie. I guess that's true. Damn it! How much do you weigh? I told you, I'm Rashad Bateman. I'm six foot one eighty five. Damn it! So you're bigger than Devontae Smith? Yeah. Your calves are and disgusting. People clown my legs. I have, my calves. Okay, people clown my legs. Like I don't do leg day. I train for explosiveness. Do I do the legs again? I train to jump higher, and that's why my legs aren't like the biggest. Who wants big fucking legs? You look like a hardo. That's 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 skinny though, dude. That's crazy. I love that he just like showed up to that knowing he was gonna jump on a scale and still was like, I don't even know who drank water that day. Like that's a. Uh, I wonder if he's yeah like cutting just to make it yeah. a joke. At this Fair point. enough. No, I mean dude. you're not. But. Do, do, like so, does he have to weigh in? Because that seems like a poor idea. Like it seems like well, they I mean had he went to, like, to the medical combine and I think you have to weigh in there. Yeah. I mean I, there's no way they weren't gonna put you on a scale, right? Yeah, it's like when you go to the doctor's office and they yeah prop you up because yeah. he had the finger. He said the finger's yeah. healing great. Maybe with the finger, though, he wasn't Can't able lift. to eat. He couldn't put food <laughs> in his mouth. I'm just That's kidding. I'm not trying to harp on a dude's weight. I'm sorry. That is crazy, though. 166 is light as fuck. That, 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 is, that is crazy. Um, all right. Uh, all right. What did you say was a good tweet? Do I do the food take? The food take, yeah. Maybe he couldn't eat with a broken finger. All right. Um, I might send it. All right. All right. Uh, here's pl players we're lowest on. The absolute lowest on. Only two of all the 50 boards in the consensus board. Najee Harris of Alabama. I'll tell you right now. I work with the social team constantly. Content director here at PFF. We get so much heat when we tweet out running back rankings because Najee Harris is number one. 66th on PFF's board, 25th on the consensus. I'll tell you right now, you won't see a running back ranked inside the top 30 on a PFF board 
for as long as you're working here. I mean, I don't know ever again. Like that, that's just a fact. Like the running backs, they better be a wide receiver. Yeah, they better be different, <laughs> which rarely they are. And then the other ones are running back as well. It's Chuba Hubbard of Oklahoma State, two twentieth versus one twenty ninth. A lot of people. So what? Can, Najee Harris. I think the, the only reason Najee Harris is that low is the running back value, right? You still view like Javante Williams, yeah. Travis Etienne, and Najee Harris all in this similar tier. tier. Yeah. yeah. So Chuba Hubbard, is it Chuba or Chuba? Chuba. Chuba? Like Tuba? All right, Chuba Hubbard, yeah. Oklahoma State. A lot of the conversation, I think, is around what his 2020 season looked like versus what his 2019 season looked like. Because in 2019, it was awesome. And then 2020, it kind of just fell off a little bit. It still wasn't, uh, still wasn't super high on him in 2019. And then you have injuries, massive workload that he's on. And he's just a little on the smaller end for the position and not a great athlete. Like 7 2 8 3 cone, pretty gross for of running back that you know you're supposed to cut so i'm just not and never did much in the receiving game at oklahoma state either so again we're gonna be lower on a lot of running backs that's just one that's like i don't see the super high and you're getting there's not although they're not a lot of running backs ranked ahead of them is the other thing so dude a lot of other these other weights are coming out and they're blowing me away louisville 22 atwell came in at lighter five foot eight 149 what the fuck I'm legitimately bigger than Tutu Atwell. That's sad. You don't want me on the football field, guys. You don't. You don't. And oh then Zayvon Collins came in at six foot four, two seventy, up My eleven God. pounds since his pro day. Dude's housing food. How much are these weights a joke? If they can fluctuate this much, I mean, I don't know. And then Zach Wilson, six foot two, two ten, which is really good. I mean, a lot of people thought that he would come down after, yeah, like, come down bag. Up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Jalen Twyman, uh, up to three nineteen at six foot one. First team all beef. Why is he getting bigger? It's a hard, oh hard, you know, that's tough. That's it. That guy just got addicted to the weight room in the year off. It's that guy who just in college just starts getting massive and you're like, God, calm down, dude. That's Jalen Twyman right now. Man, I, I have a tweet brewing. I'm gonna work on it. But this is this is wild. Tutu Atwell is five foot not five foot eight, one forty, four and forty nine. And Devontae Smith is six foot flat. 166, and I'm, I'm right in between them. I'm going to put myself in there. All right, let's get back to Sorry, the weight's throwing me off, dude. Albert Breer's out here yeah. dropping bombs. Um, let's get to the players that were relatively low on, can move kind of quickly through these, especially with some of the lower-valued positions. You're going to see yeah, a lot of running, running backs, backs into your offensive line, DTs, that kind of stuff. But Travis Etienne of Clemson, 66th versus 31st. Jalen Mayfield of Michigan. This one's interesting. Let's start here. Jalen Mayfield of Michigan, 144th on PFS draft board versus 51st on the consensus board. Why are people in love with Jalen Mayfield? And I mean, that's nearly 100 spots lower on PFS board. Yeah, I'm not sure. Tested out really poorly athletically. Not great in pass protection whatsoever at any point over the course of Michigan career. Um, got some high, highlight reel blocks, but that's kind of it on his tape. He's not consistent. Um, he's a young guy coming out, though. Give him that. Didn't get to necessarily see him develop a ton, but with our line of scrimmage stuff, there's like a threshold. You, you got to, I don't care what your physical tools are. It's still like skill matters. And when you have a 72.3 run blocking grade, 75.5 pass blocking grade, those are this past season on, well, obviously it was only two games, but even the year prior, they were worse, those grades. So that's why. All righty. I think that's um, what I'm. What I'm interested in is that you know, will he play guard in the NFL? Do you think people yeah. want to try him at tackle? I bet he plays guard. Okay. I think the NFL sees him at guard. All right. Another guy that I think PFF's been markedly lower on, not the lowest apparently, but Jalen Mayfield, 
uh, offensive line, or not Jalen Mayfield, Davian Nixon, defensive tackle, Iowa, 114th versus 58th on PFS draft board. You just don't see it with Nixon. Mm-hmm. And that's, so he talked about Barmore beating up good competition and that being valuable. Davion Nixon disappeared against good comp- competition. He was, was great against Wisconsin offensive line this past year. 53.7 pass rushing grade, 59.2 run defense grade, not a single pressure. His grade against Northwestern, the one game that he played well, 79.0 pass rushing grade, 77.7 run defense grade. Like, he looked great in that game. Northwestern's offensive line is not going to send any of those guys in the interior to the NFL. That's just a flat-out fact. So when a guy is beating up, and, and he's got very good physical tools, over 35-inch arms, a good get-off. He is a powerful dude. But again, if it's not happening against the better competition, if you really can only beat up the guys who can't match you physically, that's concerning about how you're going to translate to the league. Do you think, and I hate to derail this conversation, I I, I think there's some conversation now around Zayvon Collins potentially playing defensive end. Like, is he going to get up to 270 to play along the defensive no, line? I do 10 pounds when you weigh that much is nothing. Really? That, yeah, that's really not much. He's fine. You're just stacking on. Probably, I mean, India has some really nice steakhouses. That obviously Tutu Atwell has never fucking seen. I mean, Devontae Smith couldn't even get in, probably. I think um, he maybe just had a nice nice night at St. Elmo's. I mean, he probably just didn't, just not caring. Like in the offseason, you're trying to, you eat more to gain muscle. Yeah. So, fair enough. It's probably not even an issue. All right. Next couple guys on this list. Let's go over um, Tyson Camel, cornerback of Georgia, 108th on PFS board, kind of a late faller, didn't like his testing. Goes to 108th on PFS draft board versus 60th on the consensus board. Yeah, and again, the testing's very bad. Like, was very bad considering what you thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. Thought he was going to be an all-around athlete. And when he's really not, because, again, you don't see those Georgia guys doing a ton uh, outside of, you know, when they're attached to receivers. And when you go 7-1-5-3 cone or 4-4-5 shuttle for a cornerback, those are just not good numbers whatsoever. And the thing was, he was he was a project all along. It was never tape was never exceptional. Nine career pass breakups in you know, two and a half seasons as a starter. The ball production was not good, flat out. And remember we talked to Dane Brugler. That was one of the things he said. Ball production. Who are the guys getting their hands on footballs? That is sticky from college to pro. If you're not getting your hands on footballs, I don't see what he's then going to be. What's his sort of trait that you're going to hang your head on in the NFL? Yeah, no, I, I think um, I do think that Tyson Campbell. What's interesting is that how how do we come out of this with Eric Stokes kind of coming out, you know, more? I thought Tyson Campbell would be, you know, the consensus better Georgia cornerback of the yeah. two. Um, but Tyson Campbell ends up falling down to 108. A uh, couple more players here. We'll talk on. I'm only going to bring up the players that are ranked inside the top 100 on the Athletics consensus board and not in the top 100 on ours yeah. that we're lower on. Um, a few more two offensive linemen: Josh Myers, Center Ohio State. A guy that a lot of people on Twitter are big fans of as well. And Spencer Brown, off to tackle Northern Iowa, who is a project, a pool of Play-Doh in a lot of ways, but kind of, uh, you know, has some interesting athleticism and interesting traits. I don't get the Josh Myers hype at all. I'm just going to flat out say it. He was, the guy does not sustain blocks well. Flat out. That's a, that's a big thing at center. Center of all the positions in the NFL, the least, the least trait-based physically in terms of what translates to the NFL. It's the most skill-based. This guy's like the skill he's shown on tape at Ohio State. Not that 11 pressures this past year in like a half season. 15 pressures the year before that. He had a 65.4 overall grade this past year. You got a college competition like Barmore 
eating a student's lunch in the national title game. Those are, that's concerning again, when it's like, that's a skilled position. So yeah, we're just lower. And again, not a super valuable interior offensive line. So we're going to be lower on that guy. And how about Spencer Brown? Spencer Brown was flat out not. He's pure athletic traits. Mm -hmm. uh, unreal. Maybe the most athletic offensive tackle ever. Again, it's a skill position. He was not good, even at Northern Iowa. At Northern Iowa, 67.5 pass blocking grade against FCS competition. A 60.7 run blocking grade. Greatest whole season 2019. That's <laughs> not good. Like that, that's, yeah, physical tools for days. Yeah, probably going to be underdeveloped at a place like Northern Iowa, but that that's not like a bad FCS program by any means. Like mm -hmm. they're he's getting coached up. It's not like this is a Jordan Mylata situation where the guy is just doesn't know football at all. Mm -hmm. He's played for a while, just hasn't played well. Two more here, and then we'll jump to the interviews. Um, Dwayne Eskrich, wide receiver, Western Michigan. A lot of people liked him after the Senior Bowl. He's got speed. One of the older wide receiver prospects in this class. He's ranked 73rd on the athletic consensus board, but just 164th on PFS draft board. This one's more my type of receiver. Mm -hmm. I am just going to be lower on guys with questionable ball skills. And he flat out has questionable ball skills. 16 drops on 138 catchable in his career. Not great production. Obviously, never more than eight, 786 yards this past season. I guess so this past season was shortened. He was he was producing this past season, but that was his, his fifth year of college. He's 24 years old, I believe. Undersized, another guy who's like a more of a slot mold type, 5'9", 190. And just with questionable ball skills, I, I don't, I don't like guys with speed and questionable ball skills. That's a lot of, it's a lot of big drops in high leverage situations. It's not where I want my drops. So, and even, even when he does catch the ball, even when he's not, you know, 16 drops on 138 catchable, a lot of body catches, not going to be a contested catch guy. Like this is very different than an Elijah Moore who great ball skills, a lot of contested catches on state playing through contact. Eskridge, you kind of just, banking on the speed being that dominant and that I think it's we've seen again and again speed gets you in the door doesn't make you a great receiver necessarily last one here J2 Fele defensive tackle USC I thought we'd be closer to the consensus here but 136th on PFF's draft board versus 80th on the consensus board big fans um, you know, obviously majority big fans of J2 Fele that's that's high ranking for Tufele. yeah Tufele just very inconsistent on tape. He is a bull in the China shop. Sadly, I wish we, like I was, I liked him after his sophomore year back in 2018. I was like, what could this guy be? But then really didn't take a meaningful next step in 2019. And then obviously we didn't get to see 2020. So 73.3 overall grade back in 2019. And he's got some nice physical tools. Like he's got the length of the position, but just the balance issues are too. Like he sheds a block and is like on his face far too often for my liking. So there, that's why 136 and again, DT value 136 playing a lot into that as well. Alrighty, that's going to do it. The consensus board, Christmas morning for AG. We get it done. I like it. Big fan of it. Definitely going to be looking at that as um, you know people make picks in the first round. I'm always interested in the biggest reaches of the first round via the athletic consensus board. Some of them last year, Jordan Brooks, Seattle Seahawks, Damon Arnett, Las Vegas Raiders, and you know who? Isaiah. Isaiah Wilson. Biggest reach of the first round, Isaiah Wilson. Yeah. So um, I'm not saying go at it as your Bible, 
But I think it's another piece of data, another piece of information, just to just kind of have in the back of your mind when you're taking when taking players in the first round. That's that's for damn sure. All right. Well, let's go ahead and now jump to interviews with Notre Dame's Tommy Tremble and then USC wide receiver Amon Ross St. Brown. Now joining the Two Foreign Drafts podcast is former Notre Dame tight end Tommy Tremble. Big fan of your work, man. My podcast co-host. He's not on the interview today. Mike Renner, also a Golden Domer. Big fan of yours. Uh, it's great to have you on the show, man. Yes, sir. It's great to be here. Thank you, guys. Of course, man. Let's let's go ahead and start with, um, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording about your dad, Greg Tremble, played for safety for Georgia from 1990 to 1993. You had offers from Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, UCLA coming out, ultimately make that decision to go to Notre Dame. Walk me through that decision and what ultimately led you to the Fighting Irish. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, growing up, I said before, I was a diehard Georgia fan, uh, went to every single spring game since I was four years old. Thought I was going to go there the day I was born to even right before I committed to Notre Dame. But um, when really thinking about it and talking to my family, you know, Notre Dame offered a lot of things other places couldn't. Um, they offered elite education and elite football at the same time. And I really felt comfortable um, being with people who are other players that want to excel in both on and off the field. It was an environment I really felt comfortable um, really putting myself in there. And I'm glad I'd made that choice. Something I'd like to talk about too is, man, your your biggest strength from what I saw at Notre Dame and uh, and PFF's draft guy is is blocking. We see you as one of the better run blocking tight ends, pass blocking tight ends in this in, in this class. Where does that you know come from? Is that something that you feel like is a big strength in your game? Is that something that separates you in this class? Mm -hmm. I think um, that was something this off uh, this past off season. A lot of people were saying I was just a receiving tight end, and I wanted to prove them wrong to being I can do everything on the field. And so I worked uh, really hard this offseason to try to perfect that craft. And through help of um, our new tight end coach, Coach Minolti, and my old coach, Coach Long, kind of finding up uh, those smaller details, it really helped me kind of excel at um, that position. And so I was really grateful to have a great uh, really line of people around me to support me during that. That's awesome, man. And you got you have some wild highlight blocks too, man. If everyone hasn't watched the Tommy Tremble highlight reel of the blocking stuff, it's 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 awesome to see. Uh, are there any you know tight ends in the NFL that you watch a ton of? You know that you kind of like to pattern your game after, whether that be as blockers or as pass catchers in the NFL. Mm -hmm. um, really, someone I've watched my entire life and I tried to emulate uh, was how George Kittle, how violent he was at the point of attack where he put his head, helmet, uh, hands inside, like everything he did, he drove guys into the ground and loved doing it. And that's the mm -hmm. same thing I love to do. I mean, like you said before, moving one man against his will is the best feeling. You know what I mean? And so I felt the same, and that's the guy I really tried to emulate my play style after. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. And, and the meetings you've had with teams so far, what has been their feedback on your game and potentially their feedback on where they want to play you in the NFL? I know Mike and I have talked about on the podcast, potentially, you know, you have obviously the inline capabilities, but there's some there's some fullback to your game too, man. If people want to use you lim similarly to how the San Francisco 49ers have used Kyle Juszczyk in a lot of ways, or maybe how you know others have used you know fullback type of tight ends. What, what have teams said about that role for you in the NFL? Mm-hmm. So early on, you know, guys were saying I was in line, could play that fullback position because that was something Notre Dame gave me the opportunity to. But after um, a lot of teams attended my pro day and saw what I could do receiving rise, they saw me as a guy that I could be put all over the field, you know, out wide, in the slot, um, from the wing, even running routes from the backfield. They saw all of that kind of stuff. And so from now on, it's really been talking about how versatile I can be all over the field. 
Yeah, I, I definitely think that the versatility man at the position is going to be uh, is really what's going to pan out in the NFL for you. Um, I, I'd love to go back to you know, your time at Notre Dame and specifically in a given game week or a given practice week. You know what what goes on on film for you? What do you look for from a keys or tendencies perspective on film as you're preparing for a certain defense or you know or a certain opponent? Mm-hmm. So um, really, that all starts day after the game. Uh, after we finish one opponent, we're focused on the next one day after, you know. Um, and the main thing when I'm looking at it or if I'm looking at it with my line or the tight ends is we're seeing how the guys we're going against, either the front four or the linebacker core too, we want to see how they play. If they're guys who like to set the edge, if they're guys who like to um, bounce around blocks, like for DNs, we see if they're power players, strength players, uh, length players or speed players. We see what they kind of do. And at Notre Dame, you get the opportunity to go against all those type of guys throughout the week in practice. And so um, really going over that and being in sound with our O-line um, blocking scheme wise was something that really helped us succeed at Notre Dame and really excel at our run game during that time there. Something else I want to ask you and kind of more logistical, I know you weighed in at your pro day, six foot three, two forty one. Is that the weight you played at this past season for Notre Dame? And is there a goal weight you have in mind this offseason or have teams kind of asked you to bulk up or slim down at all? Mm-hmm. So um really at my pro day, I was just a lot lighter than I was the entire time I was here. Um like at the combine, medical combine I had last week, I ended up weighing at two forty eight. And uh beginning of the season last year I was two fifty one. And so it wasn't anything um that coaches want me at a comfortable weight. I think I'm a guy who plays around 246, 247. That's the weight I uh, really started the year out as. And by the end of the season, I was probably around 240 around then. But um, I'm really comfortable around that kind of 245 range. Uh, uh, you've been really great, Tommy. I really appreciate the time. I'd like to finish with this one. I asked all the players I talked to kind of, you know, what their motivation or their why is as they kind of go to enter the NFL and, and make, you know, make the sacrifices you need to make to play college football and then pursue a career in the NFL. What is that why or that motivation for you? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I always have to say it's in my blood. I mean, my dad played in the NFL. My great-grandpa uh, played in the NFL. My grandpa played in the NFL. All my uncles played D1 football. It's something I grew up just loving to do. It's something I've had a dream about doing since I was a kid. This is my plan and it's going accordingly. You know, it's my dream and I'm just grateful to be in this position. It's something I never take for granted because I know what it was like being the kid with no offers coming out of high school. And so every opportunity like this right now is a blessing to me. I can't believe it's happening. I'm so happy that I can be in this position. And so I take nothing for granted. And I really feel like working twice as hard as anybody else can gets me in this position I am today. All right, I lied. I have one more for you. I really appreciate the insight on the motivation and why. But I'm interested to know, and when I talk to tight end prospects, I think it's interesting. With the NFL, like the position is is changing in a lot of ways. You're asking, you know, Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, three of the better tight ends in the NFL. They play outside receiver. They play in the slot. You have to do a lot of different things. In your opinion, how important is that versatility? How important is it to be an athlete, you know, before and after the catch, be able to run from different alignments, pre-snap alignments, and those things? Is that where you also feel like the position specifically is going? In the NFL Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like it's like you said the position has been changing in the last few years it's something to where you got to have to be able to do everything you know what I mean if you want to be that type of guy that's what I try to do you know you want to be able to block and while blocking be able to beat a safety down the seam at the same time and so it was really the way the position when I came out of high school it was starting to kind of be like that like everyone used to talk like that but um, I wanted to make sure by the time, at least when I was planning to go to the NFL, 
um, that I was well-rounded in that sense and was ready to take that next step. Cause I feel like it is important uh, and really kind of, you can be that kind of chess piece that a lot of people don't have. If you have that kind of versatility, we can line up anywhere on the field and be dangerous everywhere. Couldn't agree more, man. I really appreciate the time and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. Thank you again. Now joining two four drafts is former USC wide receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. You're out there living the dream in Southern California or you're in Newport beach, Newport beach right now. How, how is that treating you right now? How's the weather? How's the food? I need all of it. It's nice. You know, out here in Newport beach, I'm from orange County originally. So, you know, about 15, 20 minutes away from Newport. Uh, I used to go here all the time when I was younger in the summer, you know, go to the beach and whatnot, but I'm out here in Airbnb with my two brothers. Um, you know, it's close to training for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I live with my dad, do training at stars with my other receiver coach. So, it's nice to be local and everything is, you know, everything's 15, 20 minutes away. So it's nice to be here by the beach. I think it's, you know, great vibes only. How has it been hanging out with EQ and Osiris? What have you guys been up to? Uh, you know, we were just chilling mainly uh, during the week, you know, where me and my, me and EQ have been working out, uh, doing a lot of training together. You know, you get those trading cards and you got to sign a lot of things. So I've been pretty busy throughout the week with interviews with teams, um, signing, you know, signing the cards and working out. Other than that, on my free time, I usually just play video games. So that's usually what we do, you know, on our, on our off time. Nice, man. What what games do you guys play? Uh, so right now, you know, kind of we've been playing Warzone earlier. So I would say like January, February, March, we were heavily on Warzone. And then recently I've been on FIFA. So playing FIFA Ultimate Team, um, you know, if you guys need to smoke, hit, hit my line. <laughs> that sounds great, man. I, I used to play a FIFA time in college. I haven't gotten into Warzone. Who's the best Warzone player of the three brothers? I would definitely say, you know, probably EQ. He's been playing it longer. Uh, I haven't been playing too many shooter games my whole life. I'm usually into the sports game. So he's definitely more to the shooter. So I would say he's probably the better one. Dude, I think I, I comp- almost failed out of high school my junior year because I was playing so much Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. That was like my first, like, first-person shooter. I'm going to commit my entire life to getting a 2.5 KD or whatever it was. But that's yeah. funny, man. That's cool that you guys play. I know you guys are super competitive. It's a great transition to talk more about kind of your upbringing and stuff. For those who don't know, there, I think there's an HBO documentary. I don't know the name of it, but I watched it on you and your brothers and your family and just your dad, who's like an absolute animal in terms of, like, yeah. training you guys up. So when exactly did your dad put you guys in the weight room and put you guys on the field and try and start training you guys to be, you know, kind of the monsters you guys are now. Yeah. I was like six years old when I first started lifting. So, you know, you do the math, my oldest brother is three years older than me. So he was probably eight, eight, eight years old. And Cyrus was seven. So we were young, he put us in a garage. You know, we started off with PVC pipes just to get the form down. You know, when you're so young, you just want to make sure you have the form, you know, you can't really lift too much weight. So he made sure we had the form down with all the PVC pipes, you know, bench press squat and whatnot. And then once he thought we were able to, you know, put some weight on, we just added, you know, 10 pounds on the side and started, you know, pushing weight at a young age. And then ever since then, you know, we've been been heavy in the weight room with our dad. And then, you know, he pushed us on the field with, you know, whatever sport we were playing when we were younger until we got to high school. And then once we got to high school, we just focused on football. Yeah, fair enough. And what, what other sports did you play as kids? Uh, so I played football, basketball, and soccer. So we all three did. Um, you know, my mom's from Germany. So soccer is huge out in Germany. We used to go to Germany every year when we were younger in the summer. Um, because that's where our grandparents live on my mom's side. So we'd go out there for about a month, month or two, me and my two brothers and my mom, while my dad would stay back home and take care of work. But we'd go out there, play soccer out there in Germany. It's, you know, a lot of fun out there because that's like, you know, the biggest sport out in Europe is soccer. So it was a fun time playing soccer. I still love soccer. I watch soccer today. Um, so soccer and then basketball. I love playing basketball too. You know, I hope every Saturday um, out here in Newport, 
uh, open runs out here in the park. So love hooping, but football, you know, football was, was a sport for me. Man, that's got to be insane. In addition, obviously, to your to your dad getting you the form in the weight room, that stuff so early, but how competitive that had to have been between three brothers just consistently competing at you know three different sports in the weight room, all that type of stuff had to have just groomed some absolute monsters for sure. Uh, I'd love to hear more. So there's a there's I, I saw that thing about how your dad you say you got you don't stretch because cheetahs don't stretch. Tell me you guys stretch now, right? Come on, you guys definitely stretch now. Yeah, I mean, I never stretched too much in my life. If you ask, you know, some of my teammates or my even my best friends, they know. I'm really tight. Uh, I can't really, you know, I can't even touch my toes. So I've never stretched really growing up. Obviously, you know, I warm up. Uh, I think mm -hmm. warming up is different than stretching. You know, before I run, I'll, you know, I'll jog, do my high knees and, and, and you know, warm up my, my muscles. But stretching, I've never really, you know, been a big stretcher. Like my dad said, you don't see cheetahs stretch before they run. So, you know, I feel like all I need is a warm up and I'm good. That's that's my favorite quote of all time from your dad right there. Cheetahs don't stretch. We don't either. That's freaking fantastic. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get back to your game a little bit. I'd love to hear kind of more about um, in a given game week at USC, what all went into a given game week um, in practice, specifically on film. You know, what do you look for on film when you're preparing for a certain cornerback or a certain defense? What keys or tendencies do you look for in a given game week? Yeah, you know, so back at USC, they prepared us really well. Uh, so, you know, throughout the week, we'd watch tape on the whole defense as a whole. Our receiver coach, our offensive coordinator, they tell us, you know, keys to look for, um, what what kind of defense they run, what, what they like to run on third down or certain formation. So they, you know, prepared us well. But for me on my own, what I like to look at was just tendencies of the guys that I was going up against. So if I was going to get up against, you know, a bigger corner, see watching his tape and, and watching other guys go against him and what he struggles with and what he's good at. And just once I get in the game, I know, you know, if I'm off of tape, his tendencies and, and what what I can do to him to to try to beat him. And how has that film preparation changed in the offseason? Have you had a lot of opportunity in between FIFA games, of course, to watch some film on yourself or watch film on NFL guys? Yeah, so I always watch film myself or even NFL guys. So I think it's awesome today with social media, you know, guys post up and you go. And for me, you know, I have Instagram, I have Twitter. And then whenever I see any route running or, or things that I can, you know, add to my game, whether it's, you know, drills or footwork drills, I always save it and make sure, you know, I have it on my phone so I can always look back in it and, and, and try to, you know, implement those drills into my to my routine or to my practice. So I love that we have social media nowadays because you can just, you know, go on your phone and see all different types of guys. So obviously, you know, I watch NFL football, watch tape, um, always watch myself because that's how, you know, that's how you get better is watching yourself and correcting yourself. But, you know, I love watching other guys and just and trying to, you know, copy them. Are there any guys in the NFL specifically that you watch a ton of that you try to like pattern your game after? Yeah, there's a few guys that I definitely love watching. Um, so Steve Smith was the guy that I kind of, you know, see myself. As you know, he's, he's retired now, but back when he played, you know, I kind of, well, I watched his documentary and everything and I kind of see myself in him, but receivers that I like watching now, obviously, you know, I have one brother that plays for the Packers. So Devonte Adams is a guy I love watching. You know, I watch a lot of Packer games. Um, Stephon Diggs on the Bills. I think he's awesome. Keenan Allen, the Chargers. Um, those are three guys right there that I just love watching, um, you know, because just because of how they, how they do things, you know, they're not the fastest. They're not the, the strongest, they're not the quickest, but they always seem to find a way to get open. So. Yeah, those are some great names, man. Steve Smith. Steve Smith's like one of the first guys when I was a kid growing up like that. I was like, man, this is why I love football. Steve Smith's yeah. tape is just incredible. And I've had opportunities to meet with him at the Combine. He's obviously in media now. And he's just an absolute dog in media, too. Like, he's one of the best analysts out there. So entertaining and all those different things. Um, speaking of Steve Smith's good transition, I'd love to hear your take on talking trash in games. Because I do think with the receiver position and quarterback, even pass rush or offensive tackle, 
there's opportunities to talk trash in game because you see the same players over and over, you know, you're able to yeah. kind of like build some rapport and, and work off things, play that mental side of the game. What's your approach to that side of it? Yeah. So, you know, I'll talk trash every now and then, um, you know, if a corner is talking trash to me, I definitely talk back. But my whole thing is, you know, I'll talk trash if I want to, if I make a great play or, you know, if it's the right time, but I'm not just going to, I'm not just going to talk trash. Cause I feel like as a receiver, you know, you don't, you don't want to make a DB mad. Because, you know, anyone that's playing mad is always going to play better. So, you know, obviously some DBs, they might get out of their, you know, out of their comfort zone and play, play worse or out of their character when they're mad. But most, most players, when they do get mad or are irritated, they play a bit better. So my whole thing is I don't want you to, you know, play, play better than you usually are. So I'm not going to trash talk if I don't have to. Um, but, you know, if, if I make a good play or if he's trash, trash talking, I'm definitely going to trash talk back. So it really depends on the situation. I'm interested uh, on your take on who some of the best corners you've gone against in your career at, in the, uh, at USC in the Pac-12. I know Oregon has a couple of dogs. Washington always turns out a ton of talent. Um, uh, Jalen Johnson, Utah. I'm interested to know, know who you felt were some of the best cornerbacks you've gone against. Yeah, there's a lot of great corners in the Pac-12. Um, last year, you know, we had a shortened season. So the Diamador Lenore from Oregon, my sophomore year, Javon Holland from Oregon, was he was good, very, very smart. Um, Jack, Jack Jones from ASU, very instinctive, love going up against him. Um, Cameron Biner from Cal, I think he's very smart, big body. So those are some guys I felt like, you know, we're definitely one of the better corners in the pack. Javon Holland went to Bishop O'Dowd, also an Oakland native, has to yeah. represent my friend. That's my guy. Um, he yeah. also, I mean, he could play anything. He could play outside corner, slot, safety. I'm a big fan of Javon Holland. Um, yeah. So some um, other stuff I like, I like to finish with this, man. I, you, yeah, this has been great. And I really appreciate the time. Um, something I asked a lot of prospects is what, you know, what your motivation is or your why is to continue to kind of make the sacrifices you do and play this game. And you've been making these sacrifices since you were six years old, man, you've yeah. been in the weight room with your dad for so long, pursuing a career in the NFL, pursuing a career in sports. You know, what is that motivation for you as you kind of continue to go to the next level? I think there's a lot of motivations for me. Um, some of them, you know, being, you know, I hate losing. So just my competitive side that we, you know, talked about earlier growing up with two older brothers, you know, I, I hated losing as a young kid because I always had two older brothers that were beating me in most things because they're just stronger than me and, and, and faster and smarter just because they're older. So for me, I hate losing. and I love competing. Um, you know, I compete in everything I do in life and the things that I love doing. So, you know, I love playing football. So my whole thing is just going out there and winning in everything that I do, um, you know, wanting to be the best at anything that I do. So, you know, if I'm playing football, I want to be the best at what I do. So that's something that I take very serious and um, just, you know, making my dad proud is another thing. You know, he's he's the person I look up to. I admire him the most. And, you know, he's he's the reason why I'm where I'm today. And for me, going out there, playing well, making him happy, making, him happy, uh, making my family happy is, is something that, you know, brings motivation to me. Fantastic stuff, man. I have one more for you. I just remembered. I'd love to get a scouting report for you from you on Keaton Slovis, guy that's going to be a big name coming into the 2022 NFL draft, obviously the USC quarterback. Yeah, I think he's, you know, Keaton's awesome. You look at the tape, he can make any throw on the field. Um, I mean, I think his deep ball is exceptional, one of the best deep balls I've ever caught or even seen. Um, you know, he has great air on it. Accuracy is amazing. Um, I mean, I think his pocket, pocket presence is great. I think he's an awesome quarterback. Like I said, he can make every throw on the field. Um, he's accurate. He's smart. Um, and, he, and he's becoming a leader, I think, more and more every year, which is, you know, huge as a quarterback. So I think he's going to do awesome next year. Really appreciate the time, man. If I ever pick up the sticks, looking to play some FIFA, I'll let you know. I'll get you out. We'll get a game gear here going here pretty soon. But like I said, yeah. best of luck moving forward, man.
You better practice first. <laughs> I bet I will. Yeah. I'm gonna have to. Do you play Madden? I'd be down to play Madden. I might Madden I, I game. I play a little Madden. I play. I play a little. Yeah. I could be down for some Madden. All right, I'll hit you up. We'll see if we can get a game going here soon. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. It is wild to me. Tommy Trimble, one super smart guy. I love you know how much he wants to have a versatile role in the NFL. Amon Ross St. Brown. I brought up the. He doesn't, you know, you, you know, your dad says you don't stretch because Cheetos don't stretch as a joke. And I was like, you stretch though, right? He's like, no, not really. He can't even touch his toes. That's crazy to me. I feel like, don't you want some of that flexibility? Can't even touch your toes? You 100% do. That's, (laughs) that matters a lot. I was, I was very, I was, I thought, I don't know. I was interested by that answer. I was not, I was, I was surprised. I was like, no, we stretch. We didn't as a kid, but he was like, no, not really. Can't even touch my toes. It's like, holy shit. Also, isn't a lot of that arm length too? Like I'm not very flexible, so. yeah. but I can touch my toes because I got Pure long toe arms. Touching can helps a lot with arm length, yeah. But right. it's also like you should flexibility stretch, yeah. yeah. Like his brother's fucking stiff as a board as a rower. Easy, easy. All right, let's go ahead now. His brother, his um, brother. Let's close it up here. He's this not. has been a fantastic episode. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Continue to support us. Also, want to shout out at the back end of the podcast here, producer David Safaro. Mentioned about the back end all the time. You know all these interviews that we did have on two for one drafts. Don't happen without Dave so far. He's been working the phones, making plays, trying to get these guys on here. And he's been a huge help in getting other guests on as well. Peter Schrager, um, Todd McShay, uh, among others, uh, Danny Kelly, all these guys that come on the podcast. Dave does a really, really good job. Big shout out to our producer who's never on the mic. Silent assassin. Dave so far. Also big shout out to producer Mike Quinn, who's been helping us do four episodes a week. We're getting closer to draft season, man. It's, it's, it's coming to a close. It's going to be a lot of fun. Really appreciate everybody on this team. Two fun drafts, baby. To the moon. Austin Gale, producer Mike Quinn. Producer David Sofaro, Mike Renner, two for a